Where are we going after Ephesians? Where are we going here? I've been meaning for a long time to teach a series on stewardship because it's for our good. If we don't understand and apply the truths we'll look at over the next few weeks, we'll not be living well, we'll be insecure, we will be living by less than faith. It's also, interestingly, where we finished in Hebrews, with the matter of our hearts. Each week from now on, we're going to be applying some heart medicine from God's Word. Whether we take it in and benefit from it is, of course, a choice every one of us makes. Let's pray before we get into this. Lord, to use the scripture, I pray that the words of my mouth and the, the thoughts and consideration of every one of our hearts may be pleasing to you today. For Jesus' name's sake. Amen. Amen. Let's define what we mean by stewardship in the American Dictionary, but never mind. Stewardship is the careful and responsible managing, management of something entrusted to one's care. Something that belonged to somebody else, but you get to deal with it. Yeah? In Christian teaching on stewardship, we generally look at how we're stewards of our time, our skills, our gifts, resources, and of course, money and wealth. And a number of authors usually tick these off as three things. Our time, our talent or our gifts and skills, and our treasure. What's valuable to us, which is in many cases our possessions, our welfare, money. But we're not going to start there. And by the way, I, I have to say... I did quite a bit of research the last few weeks, two weeks or so, and then this week particularly. And I found that the people who are good at teaching this issue of stewardship are these. The Catholics, the Anglicans, the Lutherans. And the people who are really not good at all on teaching this are the, are the Charismatics and Pentecostals. In fact, to be really honest with you, one of the books I bought from somebody in our camp, that is to say a Charismatic Pentecostal, was so poor I sent it back for a refund. It was that bad. But we don't start with stewardship itself. We start with this, ownership. I thank God that this week, one of the scriptures we'll be looking at came up like three or four times in my readings and other things I was reading. Psalm 24 verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all it contains. And this morning, one of the other verses, which is at the end of my talk, we sang, for from him and through him and to him are all things. Look around you, this world and everything in it. Who owns the world? Well, it's those, those super class of rich people. And, no, 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 no. God is the owner of all things. The earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants belong to the Lord. Where did David get that idea from? Well, he knew the Torah, the law of Moses, where it says in Deuteronomy, the heavens, indeed the highest heavens, belong to the Lord your God, as does the earth and everything in it. And by the way, Paul quotes that Psalm 24 verse 1 in Corinthians. It's quoted in the New Testament. In Psalm 50, a psalm by a worship leader called Asaph, 
The Lord rebukes Israel for bringing their animal sacrifices to him, but not themselves, not their hearts. And in the middle of that, sorry, this is Job. Job's, uh, the Lord said to Job, who confronted me that I should repay him? Everything under heaven and earth belongs to me. Oh, Psalm 89, the heavens are yours, the earth also is yours. Oh, I didn't put it up there, that's why. Listen to this from Psalm 50. I will not accept a bull from your household or male goats from your pens, for every animal of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird of the mountains and the creatures of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and everything in it is mine. So to go back, when, when the Lord finally spoke to Job, who was complaining about God's injustice as he saw it, when God spoke to Job, he didn't talk about his justice or injustice, he talked about his greatness. And he said, who confronted me that I should repay him? Everything under heaven belongs to me. And Psalm 89 was written by a man called Ethan the Ezraite, probably during, during the time that they were captives in Babylon. And he wrote this, the heavens are yours, the earth also is yours, the world and everything in it, you founded them. And good old David, King David, because when he dedicated the offering, not the temple, his son Solomon had to build the temple, but the people created this great offering for the temple, which happened in David's lifetime. And when they dedicated it all to the Lord, all the gold and silver and things that they contributed to build the temple, this was part of his prayer. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the splendor and the majesty for everything in the heavens and on earth belongs to you. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom and you are exalted as head over all. Exodus 9, verse 29, the earth belongs to Yahweh. Got it? That's an essential Christian foundational truth. The world and everything in it, including every body in it, belong to the Lord. Amen. What about the cattle on a thousand hills? And by the way, when I was growing up in Pentecostal Church in the West Midlands, we used to have chorus time before the evening uh, service. You know, you'd have your choruses, then later on you'd have your hymns. And we sang the hymns with Gusto too. But, uh, there's a silly song they used to sing in those days. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, so no cares for me. And I can't get that, like an earworm out of my head. So I knew the cattle on a thousand hills before I ever read it in scripture. Don't you think some farmers think those cattle are theirs? Don't you think some landowners think the land is theirs? And yet the Bible says they're actually the Lord. Even the promised land, promised to Abraham and his descendants, doesn't really belong to Israel, but to Yahweh. Before they were entering, here it is from Leviticus. The land is not to be permanently sold. It had to be returned to its owner at the end of the Jubilee year and so on. Because it is mine. And you are only foreigners and temporary residents, aliens and tenants in the land. And when they did not keep covenant with Yahweh, guess what? They lost their land. 
because it wasn't theirs as owners. It was the Lord's. It was in his gift. Let's come closer. What about you and me? What about all that I think of as being mine? See, the issue of ownership is this. It all belongs to the Lord. He is the owner. Admiral R.C. Sproul is with the Lord now, a great popular theologian. God is the author of all things, the creator of all things, and the owner of all things. Whatever God makes, he owns. That includes us. Again, we heard it from uh, the, 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 uh, the version, the, prom- the passion version. Sorry, I didn't know about the passion version that uh, Maxine read out earlier. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. So if God is owner, what does that make us? What he said to the, in Leviticus, it makes us tenants, it makes us stewards, it makes us responsible managers. We are stewards of his creation. When God made Adam and Eve, he gave them stewardship of creation. Go and fill the earth and subdue it and, and rule, organize, manage as those who are have deposited responsibility and authority from God to manage something on his behalf. Stewards. Own it, but they get to use it. And to use it well for the glory of God. Let me read you this uh, from R.C. Sproul again. Humankind's stewardship began in the Garden of Eden where God gave Adam and Eve full dominion over the entire creation. Adam and Eve were not given ownership of the world, they were given the responsibility of managing it. They were to ensure that the garden was tilled and cultivated and not abused or exploited and that the goods God provided were neither spoiled nor wasted. We get to use God's God's resources, the planet and everything in it. We mustn't abuse God's resources. We're stewards of ourselves. We're accountable to God for ourselves, for how we manage ourselves, how we manage our time, how we take care of our health, how we take care of our responsibilities and the people around us. We're stewards of ourselves. We'll come back to these things in a week or two. And then we're stewards of everything he gives us. Time, talents, treasure. Bill Peel, just an online article I found. I'll just read this to you. Although God gives us all things richly to enjoy, which is in Corinthians, nothing is ours. Nothing really belongs to us. God owns everything. We're responsible for how we treat it and what we do with it. While we complain about our rights here on earth, the Bible continually asks us, what about your responsibilities? Owners have rights. Stewards have responsibilities. But the person who has the most to say about stewardship and 
and also said some surprising things about money when we get there in a few weeks' time, is the Lord Jesus himself. I, I've got some old Bible study helps and some Victorian things even, and one of them you know, just gives lists of all these healings, all these parables and so on. I went through the list and I counted there 40 parables that the Lord Jesus told in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark and Luke, and 12 of those, as I count them, are directly about stewards, servants, people who are responsible and accountable to a master, an owner, a king, a lord. And across those 12 parables, the Lord Jesus emphasizes four principles. We're doing number one today, we'll do the other three next time. Number one is the principle of ownership. It's not yours, it's his. Number two, the principle of responsibility. You've been given real responsibility. You've been given real authority. You get to make choices. It doesn't dictate you everything you need to do. You get to handle it with some wisdom. And, but it doesn't mean you can't seek him for advice. And by the way, you know, when something breaks down, you know, washing machine and car, well, it wouldn't be fun to say, Lord, your washing machine's got a problem. <laughs> what do I do about it? <laughs> wouldn't that be fun? Well, it depends how we think about these things, doesn't it? The principle of accountability. Because we are given stewardship, we're accountable for our stewardship. For the gifts, for the time, for the talents, for the treasure. And then the last one is this, the principle of reward. Faithful stewards who do the master's will with the master's resources can expect to be rewarded incompletely in this life, but fully in the next. There's some reward now, but we live in this not now and not yet to the kingdom of God. We can't handle it all now. The real, the real deal is later. Just to sum that up on the reward, this is how Jesus finishes off a couple of his stories. Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. I want to go to one of those stories that Jesus told, just one today. And like a lot of his stories, it does pack a punch. It's the story of the rich fool. And by the way, I'm, I'm not being rude there. God calls him a fool. Yes. The rich fool. Those are his... Barns, they're actually storage towers, you know, so the air circulates through them to keep your grain in them and so on. The rich fool. Luke 12. Someone from the crowd said to the Lord Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. There was an argument about, you know, dividing the inheritance. Dad had died and who's going to have the money? Friend, he said to him, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? Then he told them, watch out and be on guard against all greed because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. Having made a statement, he now tells them a story. Then he told them a parable. A rich man's land was very productive. He thought to himself, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store all these crops? I'll do this, he said. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grain and my goods there. Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, you fool. 
This very night, your life is demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? That's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. God called the man a fool. He thought he could plan for the future. He thought he owned and controlled these things. He thought he was master of his own possessions and his own life and his own destiny. And the lesson that Jesus gives here is that not only the man's possessions, but also his very life were actually in the hands of God. Let me give that to you as a headline. Not just his stuff, his soul belonged to the Lord. Everything he owned and all that he was himself was actually in the hands of God. The man reckoned he knew what he was doing, how it would all work out, but he ignored the fact that there is a sovereign God who is owner and master and ruler over all things. So, I think I'm going to be really quick preaching this this morning. Here's two headlines. First one is this, God owns everything that you own. Maybe I should make it even longer. God owns everything that you thought you owned. Here's a, quite a long quote from Donald S. Whitney. His book on uh, the spiritual disciplines is very good. Whitney on the spiritual disciplines, very, very good. God wants us to use and enjoy the things he's allowed us to have. But as stewards of them, we are to remember that they belong to him and they are primarily to be used for his kingdom. Now he gets punchy. The house or apartment you live in then is God's house or apartment. The trees in your front yard are God's trees. The grass that you mow is God's grass. You taking care of it? The garden that you have planted, or not planted, is God's garden. The car you drive is God's car. The clothes you're wearing and those hanging in your closet belong to God. The food in your fridge and cupboards belongs to God. The books on your shelves are God's books. All your furniture and everything else inside your home belongs to God. We don't own anything. God owns everything and we are his managers. Then he puts this as well. For most of us, the house that we now call my house was called my house by someone else a few years ago. And a few years from now, someone else will call that house my house and not you. Do you own any, any land? A few years from now, someone else will be calling that my land. We are just temporary stewards of things that belong to God. Now guess what? That's about as far removed from the way the world thinks as the North Pole is from the South Pole. Now stop for a moment. How much of the world's thinking has crept into our hearts then? God owns everything and the stuff that I think is my stuff is actually God's stuff. The rich fool didn't know that and he had a very sharp lesson. But we need to return to that. We need to get hold of that again. 
But everything that is in our hands is not in our ownership, it's in our stewardship. It belongs to the Lord. And therefore, I can actually say, when something needs attention, when something's trouble, we can talk to him about, Lord, the, your stuff needs, needs sorting out. You know. Your thing needs repairing. What do I, how do I do that, Lord? And the second headline is this, God owns you. God owns you. Firstly, by creation, God owns everyone because they're his creatures. The rich fool belonged to God by creation. He was God's creature. His life was on the Lord's hand. You see, the fool, the scripture says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. But the fool also says in his heart, I'm my own person. I'll do what I like. I'll please myself. It's a recipe for disaster. Every human being belongs to God. We're his creatures. That is why the biblical teaching about creation is so fiercely resisted by the world. Because if we really are God's creatures, that makes us responsible and accountable to him. And if you do not want to answer to God, let's just take God out of the question. Let's just say, we didn't come from anywhere. Except, you know, the doctor. <laughs> An amoeba, yes. God is the God of all flesh, all humanity, every single person on the planet. He owns them. I read it in a book, I, I wish I'd done this myself, but I think it was a friend, no, it was a friend of mine telling me the story. He's, he was more evangelistic than I am, this man. And he, he was having a conversation with somebody, he said, I'm an atheist, I don't believe in God. So he said to him, but God believes in you. Do you like that? He said he made you and he knows you and he's looking at you right now and he's calling you to believe in him through his son Jesus. So, so long, you can go on all your life not believing in God, but if God's there and he is, he's got, he's got your case. <laughs> so there you go. God believes in you. I like that one. Let me run through. So by creation, we are all God's creatures. In fact, in that sense, there's a sense in which we are all God's children because of creation. And that's the way the Greeks thought about us being the children of God. But the Bible tells us in a new sense that we are the children of God because God has brought us back to himself through Jesus, through the cross, through the atonement, by redemption. We are made twice over his. He owns us twice over because we've been bought by the blood of Christ. Let me give you some scriptures here. 1 Corinthians 6, 18. Just follow the context with me. Run from sexual immorality. Every sin a person can commit is outside the body. That was what the Corinthians were arguing. And Paul's answering it, saying you're wrong. On the contrary, the person who is sexually immoral, immoral sins against his own body. Don't you know that your body is a sanctuary, a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. Again, I remember songs I learned years ago when we used to sing, I am not my own, I have been bought with a price, precious blood of Christ, I am not my own very simple song but it profoundly changes the way you look at the whole of life if you believe that to be true 
I'm not my own. I'm bought. I'm owned. Further on in the same book, Paul says, in a different context, you were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Don't slavishly follow these people. Do what they do. Say what they say. You're not them anymore. You're not your own anymore. You're not part of that anymore. You were bought at a price. And Peter sets out the price. 1 Peter 1.17 If you address the Father as Father, the one who judges impartially based on each one's work, that's the accountability again. Next time. You are to conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your temporary residence. Well, I thought I'd be here for a few more years yet, yet but it's still temporary residence compared to eternity. For you know that you were redeemed, you were bought from your empty way of life, inherited from the fathers. You were bought not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without defect or blemish. Bought with the most incredibly expensive, precious shed blood, the blood of Jesus himself. Bought at a price. When God says, I own you, he does so because he made you, but also because if you're a Christian, if Christ died for you, you have been bought back from darkness, from the kingdom of Satan, through the blood of Christ Jesus. That's the value on your head. That's the price of your life. Yep. You are possessed by the Father because he gave his son for you. So we are servants of the Most High, but also his sons, children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Next time we'll come to stewardship and think about responsibility and accountability and reward as taught by the Lord Jesus as we manage time and talents and treasure. But today this is firstly not about us, it's about God, who is our maker and our owner. You see, knowing this to be true must profoundly change our attitude to life, to stuff, as I call money and possessions and houses and cars, and, but also to death. It's a long time since we did we said Romans, but here you are, Romans 14, 17. None of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Amen. I read something to you from Philippians last week, wasn't it? Paul, in prison, reckoning he hasn't got long to live, he's going to die. He's going to face a, a beheading because he's a Roman citizen, so they'll, just, they'll, 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 they'll cut his head off not put him on a cross. And what does he say? That I may embrace his sufferings. That I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. I said it in this way. If I'm going to die, I'm going to die for Jesus. So whether we live or we die, we die for the Lord. And whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. In the living and in the dying. 
In Corinthians, Paul says this out as a statement of faith. For there is, for us, there is one God, the Father. And this rhymes, by the way. Paul is quoting him or he's writing poetry. N.T. writes as he writes, they aren't hymns. It's Paul writing poetry. He was that, he was that good. He was, he was that much of a genius. I'm beginning to bend to that idea. There is one God, the Father. All things are from him. And we exist for him. And there is one Lord, Jesus Christ. And all things are through him. And we exist through him. See, we might have this, um, here's my, me with my little life, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. Uh, I've got to get busy, and I've got to get that done. got to get that done. We exist from him, and through him, and for him. See, one day, this life will be over. What do we then have? I'm talking to Christians, those with a future, with a hope. What do we then have? We have one thing. We have the presence of our Father forever. We will live and breathe in the presence of God. But actually, our lives now are from him and through him and to him. It doesn't kick in on resurrection day. Oh, now we get to do this. Oh, okay. We can leave that old, that old one of, oh, I've got to do this and I've got to do that and I've got to do this. Life now is for him. Life now is under his ownership. Let me give you a word you'd be more familiar with. Lordship. Lordship. You see, when someone bows the knee or just bows their heart and says, I give up the struggle, I commit myself to you, Lord Jesus, I surrender to you, you're not doing something really noble and fantastic. My word, look at that guy. You're just getting rid of the lie that you belong to yourself and you can please yourself and you're grabbing hold of the truth that Jesus is king. See, thinking the other way is a lie. Owning Jesus as Lord and owner is the truth. You just woke up to the truth, my dear, that's all. And life in and with Jesus is the beginning of eternal life. And following him as a, as a disciple is the training for real eternal life. For, is, for us there is one God, the Father. There's another place, here's another one where Paul writes in rhyming, scanning poetry. And we sang it earlier, Romans 11:36. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. The word things there means all things. Not just circumstances. Yeah, not just situations, not just trials, troubles, problems, fixing, sorting. But actually... Everything, everything there is, is wrapped up in that phrase. From him, through him, to him, returning back to him. As I said last week, in the matter of our heart, God fills our hearts so we re return to him things from our hearts. Fills our hands so we return from our hands the things that he's filled our hands with. 
from him and through him, working it out with him and back to him are all things, including doing your job, including your doctor's appointments and dental appointments, including paying the bills, including running the car, including fixing the house, all things. Preachers used to say, when I was a young, young whippersnapper, and you know, I, people don't say it so often nowadays, Jesus is either Lord of all or is not Lord at all. Yeah, it's, a, it's a nifty way of saying something, isn't it? The acknowledgement, the glad surrender of all things into the hands of Almighty God is just plain common sense. For he is the sovereign king. He is the owner. He is the master. And the all things includes me. As a person. As what the Bible calls a soul. A soul is not something you have, it's who you are. You're a living person. That's what, that's what the language of soul means. You're a living person. You're not a dead person. We're not burying you next week. You're a living person. So you are a soul. You have identity. And God owns us, as we say, body and soul. Lock, stock and barrel, mate. <laughs> now, I'm just about at the end, except I've just kind of messed my notes up, sorry. I was thinking yesterday about how to illustrate, to close this up, <laughs> How did I do that? Um, and I thought about, I know what I'll do. I've got some points and I'll put them on like a prescription. Here's the medicine. Point number one, two, three. I thought, mm. by late last night I was thinking, no, I'll, I'll make it a pill. I'll, do, I'll find an image of a pill. And, and I'll say, this is the pill to take. And when I woke up this morning, I realized, you know, with the Holy Spirit's help, I got it wrong. There's one, there's one I've got to go to. It's this, the defibrillator. <laughs> Boom! The heart defibrillator. Here's the definition. A defibrillator, say properly, David, a, fi a defibrillator is a device that delivers an electric shock to restore the heart to normal rhythm. To get it back on track. Yeah. These truths will only get us back, at, though they shock us, yes. they go, what? Boom! They get us back into normal rhythm. Yes. Amen. To where we should be. And here are three shocks, all right? You know, they go, boom, and then they count, and then they do another one. By the way, it's lower left, upper right. That's where you place them, right? <laughs> I, I didn't know. <laughs> Here's the three defibrillating shocks. Number one, God is my owner. I didn't say yours, I said mine. Is that okay? Because I don't want to offend you. God is my owner, my master, my king, my sovereign. Shock number two. I am his servant and his steward, but also his son. There's, there's relationship in this. I'm not just running around doing somebody's orders. And 
that he, I can come back to him and find his help and his instruction. And by the way, one of the things I'll do on Steward is, is you know, you have, you have 24-7 responsibility to God. But guess what? There's a 24-7 helpline too. <laughs> you are never without his available help. All it takes is a believing prayer to find God's resources and God's help to deal with life. I am his servant, his steward, but also his son. And number three, boom. I am everything in my world belong to him. Now those truths may come as a shock to our system, but we need to get our system back on track. Whether you're a Christian believer or not, and in which case you're not yet a son, but you are still a steward and a servant of God. You're probably shocked by some of these things this morning. It's like I've said, I'm sorry, but you know, Pentecostal charismatics are not good at teaching this stuff. But this is for our good, our health. You see, if our hearts are filled with the things of this world, particularly the possessions, the wealth of this world, one day we're going to have a most awful surprise. They really weren't worth what we thought they were. They will fail us. It will disappoint us. There will be something that money can't fix and money can't buy and we'll go, why did I spend all my time and effort just building, filling myself with all this stuff? Our lives are in his hands every day of our life and the last day of our life. And wisdom calls us to find our place, again, in the hands of God. To live by faith there, content in him, depending upon him, and doing what he shows us to do. There's a lovely scripture in one of the Psalms I read this week about the, the, the counsel of the Lord is with those who fear him. And it says, and he, he, he shows them what to choose. Do you like that? He shows them what to choose. You still choose. You still make the decision, but he shows you the way. He, he gives, shows you how to figure it out, which way to go. I believe that's a lovely way of explaining how this Christian life works. God doesn't give you A, B, C, one, two, three, do this, do that, do that, like, like, like you know, bullet list for everything in life. But where we are making choices, we can get instruction and wisdom how to make the choice in a way that pleases him. Our lives are not ordered until we are again rightly relating to our owner, our creator. And the world is dysfunctional. People talk about dysfunctional politics and dysfunctional families. The world is dysfunctional. It can't get it together. It can't come to order because the only order is his. Divine order. And by receiving this strong medicine, our hearts begin to gear again to God and his centrality and his sovereignty and his good purpose. And we accept that what he says to us will always be for our good. Since he who gave up his son for us all, how will he not freely give us all things, all things that are good for us and all things that will 
Help us to serve him. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you that every human being is uh, special to you and precious to you because they are your creatures. But then for many of us here today, Lord, we acknowledge that because you have given your son Jesus to die for us, his blood is our ransom price, our purchase price. We are like those slaves in the market that someone has bought. We have been bought back from slavery to sin, the fear of death and to Satan, to be the willing servants of the Most High through Jesus' his Son. We very readily, very often spin off the words from our tongues, Lord. We, we, we're familiar with them. Uh, Lord, King, we kind of twitch a bit to say master. Today we're probably really twitching to say owner. But Lord, help us that these words, these names that we assign to you become precious to us, every one of them. Because we are yours, we are in your hands, and there is nowhere safer than that. There is no other place where we could find such peace, such rest, such joy such contentment, such comfort and strength as being in the hands of the living God. Lord, we, we so easily let the world tell us what to fill our hearts with. But there is in the end only one thing that can truly fill us from the inside out. It's you. It's you. Let me just say a word to anyone here who hasn't yet surrendered your life to Jesus. Let me just say it to you again, it's just plain sense, isn't it? If he's your creator, and if he loved you enough to put his son on a cross, don't you belong to him? Isn't it time to begin to live for him rather than for yourself? You only time for that change to come that we sang about earlier when Jesus comes everything changes why don't you ask the Lord Jesus to come to you to change you today starting now just raise a prayer to him from your heart from your mind do it very quietly but do it let the, let the words form on your lips to ask him to come and rescue you to make you new. For everyone who believes in Jesus becomes a new creation. They get a new start. They get to be God's creature from the beginning all over again with a new life to live from now on. Make that your prayer. Lord Jesus. for all of us now I guess some of us have a prayer to pray why don't you just take that moment to do it before we get into breaking bread 
I'm not even going to tell you what it is. You, 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 you know what you need to say to the Lord right now. Lord, we don't want to get into practicalities about how we manage this and do that. We want to come, first of all, to this very deep heart-level issue of understanding and confessing with our mouths. For us, there is one God the Father who we belong to, and we are his, and everything is from him and through him and to him. That the songs that we sing and the scriptures that we've read shape the way we live our lives, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Some of you have been asked to help in breaking bread.